0: There's a couple things that are said to be kind of true. One is uh, they claim in the average Church of Christ across the United States of America, if you just randomly walk in, more than likely, either the sermon or the Sunday school class is going to be on the book of Acts. So if you randomly walked in here this morning for Sunday school, we gave you the book of Acts. The other thing you'll hear a lot of times from people is they kind of complain a little bit because they say, well, all those churches do is talk about money. So if you came in here this morning randomly, guess what? You're going to get one on money this morning. And quite honestly, you know, I put this verse up here, and this is where we're going to be focusing our attention to our understanding of what it means to give and what it means to... And this does not strictly apply just to monetary giving. It also applies to life given to God. But in some of these passages, this one in particular out of Philippians chapter 4, he's talking about money. And that particular passage, Paul's saying, I had a need to be able to support myself. You know, you know, when Paul couldn't support himself, it didn't stop the work. It slowed down the work. So when you get to a place like, um, what was it, Athens, I believe it was, where, where Paul basically is by himself and he starts making tents. Not Athens, it's where... Anyhow, we'll look that up. We'll be in the book of Acts later on. But uh, he... Um, he starts making tents every day. That's what his trained skill was. You know, plumbers, carpenters, and tent makers. But, uh, but as soon as those showed up with money to support the work, he did a full-time, He instead of just preaching on the Sabbath and on the synagogues, uh, he decided he had a seven-day-a-week uh, ministry going. So in this particular passage here, he says, you know, well, thank you for what you've given. But he describes it not as just a donation. He yes. describes it as a fragrant aroma acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. At the same time, in our modern church, probably the most unwelcome topic by Christians is the topic of money. We don't want to hear about it, and it's amazing. you know. It's, it, 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 we can talk about just about everything else out there. We like lessons on love. We like lessons on hope and joy. And we'll even tolerate a few lessons on repentance and things like that and sin. But money. That kind of gets a little bit too personal for a whole lot of people. It's like a taboo discussion. And a lot of people, they'll say, that's between me and God. You know, and and unfortunately, if you have that view, you'll notice that that's really not the way things are in Scripture. Now, there are abuses of, of money. And we see that repeatedly. I would dare say monetarily or economically, that's probably the sin of Cain when Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable to God and you kind of read what it says there then you read over all the way towards the end of the Bible in 1 John they talk about it again that's probably a little bit what was going on with Cain but it's definitely when you get to the book of 1 Samuel you have these two priests sons of Eli and they they have basically turned worship into a money making machine for themselves well not money so much currency back then it was more bartering and trading and animal sacrifices, same thing. They were making sure that they could become wealthy and using religion for it. And then the, the, the um, book of Malachi that was mentioned this morning, one of the issues in the book of Malachi is how the priests had taken and used giving as a way of making themselves a little more powerful and a little bit better off than they should have been. Uh, read a lot of the words of Jesus Christ about it, especially when you get to Matthew chapter 23. And you can see that religious leaders have been known throughout the centuries as abusers of the finances that are supposed to be offered to God and God alone. But offerings are as much a part of our worship to God as anything else, song, prayer, anything else, your service on a daily basis, any ministry that you might be involved in. When you go through and read about it, you'll see it's all over the place. Matter of fact, one of the things you might notice if you go through the Gospels alone is if you could take all the different topic matters that Jesus preaches on and put them into categories. Guess which one comes out number one yeah, as an individual, as an individual topic of discussion? Money. He talks about our dependence on money, our stinginess, our need to use what we have to to share with other people. You know, he talks about the rich man who wouldn't sacrifice what he had. We talk about Lazarus and. And the rich man also, and the problem that was going on there. So the problem is sometimes when you get to the modern church, I think we have this problem where we look at giving and we view it as a duty, as an obligation. But in reality, it should be viewed as a part of what it means to worship the God that we love. A lot of times the most popular text that you'll hear a lot of people preach about on on giving is this one here in 1 Corinthians 16, verse (coughs) 2. At the first day of the week, each one of you is to put it lay aside and save as he may prosper. What's interesting about this passage, if you really study it well and you study it in context of the whole New Testament, it really doesn't demand that churches throughout history are obligated to take up a weekly collection. Now, some people are sighing and other people are excited at this point, you know, so we don't have to do this. Well, pragmatically, it works out well for most churches that we take up the collection each week. And the reason I say that this doesn't set the precedence for all times is what were the churches doing before Paul wrote six, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Were they taking up weekly, weekly collections or were they not? We don't really know. We do know that when there was a need and a need arose, they, the church would rally around and make sure that the financial obligations were taken care of. But really, probably the most easy thing and the most sensible thing is to follow this example of 1 Corinthians and the people, though, when you go through the scriptures, they took care of whatever the needs were for the church and for the work of the church. You have people that gave money to the apostles to, uh, from the very beginning. You know, we find that right there in the opening days of Jerusalem as the church is founded. And they gave the for the feeding of those members that were in need. And we see where the church also gave to support evangelists and apostles in their work. Do you know that Jesus was supported financially by a group of women. Go back and read through your Gospels again and you'll see that. Reading the letters of the New Testament, you'll see where brothers and sisters are taking on all kinds of challenges of faith. Not just, uh, not just the ones we normally think of. In Corinth, we have widows on a widows list. It's kind of interesting because you know, if, if we were to, to uh, have that same practice today of the widows list, it's some high qualifications to get on that list. And being old and, and a widow is, is just part of it. But we also see it in those letters of Paul where elders, elders were supported to preach. Not just, you know, we always think about preachers. Matter of fact, the way he describes it, he says they're worth double honor. And that's, that's a monetary term that they're using. Of You support these elders that are dedicated to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And with the double honor, I don't know that that means you, you double down or you double the, double the offering. But he's basically saying, let them have a comfortable lifestyle so that's not what they have to worry about. We see it, traveling preachers, there's a term that's from early Christianity called speed. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Is that. to give them Godspeed. What that meant was when that traveling evangelist is on his way to the next town, the church that is sending him forward will take up a collection and give him enough to help him travel and get to that next town. Now, a lot of times they didn't necessarily give him any more than that because the church where he was arriving at was supposed to take over at that point. But Godspeed was, was a financial obligation to pay for his travel expenses. Collections and contributions were given to the poor and the needy, and they would do it both locally and in other cities and in other countries internationally. Probably the second most popular passage we talk about giving is this one here, and we, uh, I believe this was mentioned even this morning. Each one of us must do as he has prospered in his heart, not grudgingly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, well, if you read that whole chapter, don't take and reduce it and say, well, God doesn't want me to give any more than I'm happy about because I'm not happy giving very much. Read it and basically you see Paul describe brothers and sisters in Corinth who see giving as an opportunity to be a part of the ministry, that if they can't contribute in a whole lot of other directions, this is one they can do. And you think about that. How often have we supported people, you know, not only you're sending me to Romania, but others, you know, that we've we've helped with in foreign countries. We can't, can't necessarily get there ourselves and do the work, but we can support that work if possible. Today's churches, I think ministry is a whole lot more complex. You know, I don't, you know, there's some people would say, well, if they didn't do it in the Bible days, we're not going to do it today. So, you know, electric bills are not going to be paid because I cannot find book, chapter, and verse. Well, I can. It says, let there be light. So it's it's in there after all. So first century churches, churches might never imagine all the things that we have today. It's, you know, within probably 300 years, you started seeing church buildings being you know, purchased or built and erected for the, the purpose of the worship service and the outreach. Uh, and obviously, obviously that's gotten a little out of hand with a lot of congregations, where all of a sudden you have sanctuaries, you have cathedrals, you have these holy places where actually it was just supposed to be a tool to be used for the glory of God in our work. So we have where well, we have the means of benevolence of the community. And most churches meet in church buildings. You know, it's not everywhere. There there are a lot of places in the world where house churches are still the way to go. That is still what's uh, the prevalent form of evangelism and, and church worship. But we have, we use the building for a way of outreach, a way of outreach for the community. A building is not a church, it's merely a tool. You know, and I, I'm not one of these ones, if you say you're going to church, I'm not going to get on. You say, you're not going to church, you're going to the building. You know. You know. I understand. Let's not get too picky on it. You know, when you say you're going to school, I'm not going to chew you up because you're going to the building there either. We understand what you mean. But at the same time, it's not a holy structure. It's merely a tool. Always remember one church where in their facility, they had two basketball uh, goals. And you could take the chairs out and play basketball on a Friday night. And somebody told them that that was unscriptural. And he said, well, a lot of churches don't have goals. We have two. And so <laughs> you, you always got to be thinking ahead of time. But today we can use our funds, not just for the building, for the, for the electricity, but also radio programs are sometimes supported by this as a, articles of encouragement we put in the newspaper. You know, we did that for a couple of years and there's a high price in that. And uh, to this day, I debate whether or not we should continue with it or not. It's, because it's one way that we can reach out to the community. We use our funds that we have to reach out, to bless, to minister, and any financial need that's out there, such as missionary work and preachers, preachers in foreign lands. And Highway 32, I believe, has always been a loving church and a giving church. And we've actually seen our, our amount grow, grow each week. Um, a lot of that may be just you felt extra generous, uh, some of it may be because you're looking at the need that we have with this, this structure that we're building here next to us. And uh, all the bills are not in on that one yet. So a lot of people have been giving quite a quite a bit. And either through general weekly contributions or sometimes individuals will respond to a need that they hear about at that particular moment. And you and I may never know about it. But at the same time, we keep on reaching out. We keep on preaching. You know, there's a... One of the scriptures that I, I didn't put up there is where Paul describes the reason that you support the elders financially, which today we always say that's preachers. Hey, you got two for one here, so you got a preacher and an elder, so surely we're okay. But he says, do not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. And Paul says, Moses didn't write that for the sake of the ox. He says he's talking about supporting those who are involved in the work, and so with all the contributions here, uh, you've all made sure that the ox has been properly fed. So I'll, I'll thank you for that. <laughs> At this point, through our prayers and our discussions, and for because we want to have a better tomorrow, uh, we're building. And we're taking this humble structure we have, and we're having a little bit better structure over there. The building is absolutely no guarantee of success or growth. Again, it is merely a tool. And I've actually even heard people say, oh, when you build a building, automatically the, inte- the attendance will increase. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. And on top of that, we don't want more attendance. We want more redeemed souls. And that's our n- number one goal. And it should always be that that is our goal. If God's people are faithful, then the work will succeed. And only then if God blesses us. The financial challenge of this work is great, but it's only one small aspect of what we're looking forward to in the future. And we have started this work by faith in a lot of ways. It's not just a matter of whether we can raise the money, but whether we can use that structure to the glory of God and the glory of God in this county and anywhere else we can reach to. Our hope is to meet the financial challenges of this structure without sacrificing other needs or other ministries. And it's our hope that 2020 will be a new new phase in all that we are. Create more ministries and more endeavors More things for each one of us to become involved in. Increased ministries means more people doing more things. It also means more time given. And it means more financial sacrifice. And so Paul says this. He says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's at the beginning of Philippians. And in that letter, he starts out talking about their walk of faith in all areas. But as he finishes up the book of Philippians, and you keep reading, he also includes in that giving. I believe that Paul's words of the Philippians concerning their financial gifts actually are a key for us here 2,000 years later. Because at the end of this letter, what he writes to them about what they have done and the responsibility they, they have undertaken towards his personal ministry, to his work of evangelism. Remember, Paul, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but sometimes go through the book of Acts, and Paul's letters, the man's a fundraiser. You know, a good friend of mine and fellow missionary, uh, Harvey Starling, uh, he does so many things, and he says on his tombstone, you know what he wants to have on there? He wants to quote from the gospel where it says, and the beggar died. (laughs) Because a large part of his ministry is raising funds for the work in Romania. And Paul here looks at them and, and, you know, again, Paul raised money for the poor saints of Jerusalem. Paul raised money for the missionary efforts that he was in. Paul raised money for various churches to help with various churches. Paul raised money for those of his mission team. This particular (laughs) text here is referring to a gift that was given to him for the support of his own travels and evangelism. And he says, I am amply supplied what having received from Epaphroditus, what you have sent. And he describes that gift of money, that donation, that contribution. He says it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And I believe that Paul's words resonate for us today as we also take of our financial means and give to God. And again, in chapter 4, Paul's talking about a cash donation that was given to the work But at the same time, notice the way he describes it. He uses a lot of Old Testament temple terminology here, doesn't he? Because in the Old Testament, you would bring your sacrifice to the the temple. You would give it to the priest, and it would be laid there, it would be sacrificed, it would be burnt, and the smoke would ascend, and he says, what you're smelling is a pleasing aroma to God. You know why it's, and you think about that, I I get too literal, I do that all the time. Well, you know, did, did it smell like a barbecue? Did it smell like burnt? What did it smell like? That's not the point. I'm way off base. You know what it smelled like to God? It smelled like love. It smelled like your love for his work and for his ways. Paul describes this just like an Old Testament sacrifice of an animal being brought to the altar of God. And that is a well-pleasing smell aroma to our God, a fragrant aroma. So the question for you as you look at each week, and especially this next year, is how do you view what you do with your money? What you are giving financially, and the way you act as a giving, do you look at it as an obligation? And I guess I could have found the text to say, yes, it is an obligation. You know, I definitely could find them in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament tells you, you tithe, and that's a 10%. And actually, if you actually get a calculator out and go through all of the sacrifices, all the offerings that they did, not just each Sabbath, but the special days throughout, eh, it kind of adds up more to than a tithe. It would be about 20 to 30-some percent. And maybe you can look at it that way as an obligation, but I really think what we need to look at it is is a fragrant aroma. That what we give to God reflects our love for God. And when we give, when we sacrifice to our God and our King, to the Holy of Holies, He is honored by what you do. If it is given in love. If it is viewed as a sacrifice. Now that I call you back to the Cain. I don't know exactly what the deal was with Cain. It says Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God. They were first fruit offerings. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was, was a farmer. A- Abel offered a lamb. And Cain offered from the produce of his land. And I've heard people say, oh, it had to be a blood sacrifice. And that's, no, that's not the problem. Because they were offerings of thanksgiving. But for some reason, Cain's out. Sacrifice was not honored by God, I'd say it wasn't a sacrifice. That was the problem. And God even tells Cain, because Cain becomes very upset, and God says, if you do well, won't your the, the terminology in the King James says, your countenance be lifted. And basically what God is saying to Cain, he says, you do well, and it'll put a smile on your face. And I think God looks at us today and says, if you do well, God will put a smile on your face. When our offering is seen as worship, worship to God, a God that I love, a God that you love, then it becomes an honor for me to give. It becomes an honor for you to give. And all of this is tied to our life as worship. Because it is an acceptable sacrifice to God, but at the same time, every single aspect of our life is supposed to be a sacrifice to God. And that's what we read about last week where Paul says, offer your bodies or present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. As much as I can call this worship what we're doing this very hour, I can't actually find a scripture that calls it that. It is a part of our worship. What you do with your life. What we do with all that you are all that you, you possess, and all the opportunities you come in contact with. That is your worship. Giving to God is no more of an option than is any other part of worship. And those who love God, they worship him daily with all that they are and all that they possess. It's what they do. That's what a living sacrifice would do. I always hate it when I put up these passages with too many words on a small screen. We'll see how the new screen looks in the new building. That might be scary. I might put bigger passages on. them. <laughs> but here, if you can't read that well, turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And Paul here is talking to the Corinthians, and at this point, again, he's talking about offerings, money. Because Paul has sent out the word throughout all the churches of Asia and Europe, and said, there is a need in the city of Jerusalem, and you and I are going to meet that need. And so that 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he says, lay by in store each day as you have been prospered. He says, you know, you're going to do this methodically when we're going to raise this money methodically. And when I come, they won't have to take up a collection. It'll all be there just waiting for me. And you send a representative with me and we'll go to Jerusalem and we'll give it to the church and bless them. So he says, but when you're doing this, because in his second letter, he repeats the challenge of their giving. And he says... A lot of people are doing well, but let me tell you about the Thessalonians. He yeah. goes, brother, I want to make known to you about the grace of of God, which has been given in the churches of I said Thessalonica, Macedonia, that a great ordeal of of affl- affl- uh, I'm sorry, affliction, affection. I'm sorry, I can't read right. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So if you go back and read that passage right without all my mistakes in my reading it and read it thoroughly and understand it. The churches of Macedonia begged for the opportunity to give. And he says they're living in a world that is not that easy. Now Corinth is a little bit different. Corinth, uh, this would have been the rich neighborhood of Europe. But Macedonia, it's, it's it's a wide area there that's over... You know, where Alexander the Great had come from years ago, not doing quite as well at that time. But he says, they're doing okay. But he says, they've, got, they've had a hard time, but also with the abundance of their joy. He goes, they were people of poverty. And their deep poverty, though, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The one thing you could not take away from them was their desire to do what was Right? And so, from the church that Paul probably expected, or the area of churches, Macedonia is like an area of churches, or the area that he did not expect to be all that impressive, he was shocked because they begged for the right to give, and they did so or, you know they, they, they said they gave out of the abundance of their own generosity, their own liberality he gave they they did this because first and foremost they gave it themselves so when you think about it we as a church have an opportunity and it's not just paying bills it's the work of God here locally that we hope to accomplish with this new facility you know and our goal is not just to pay for a building but to use what we have, regardless if it's the structure. You know, if for some reason they close us down, we won't stop. We'll find a new way. But this is the choice that we're making at this point, and the challenge of the ministry, as long as we choose to be a part of the ministry. And so at this point, we want more than ever to be the light of the gospel in a world that desperately needs hope. This is the choice that we've made. A lot of you are just interested in new bathrooms, but that's okay. Our financial blessings will always find a need. And so even once this building is paid for and everything is resolved, I don't expect the need of our contributions to stop because I can guarantee you if we put out a sign, we've got money, do you have a need? Somebody's going to answer that. Now, they might not always be the right answers that we want, but I I can guarantee you that if, if... You know, people are always talking about, well, what if you won the lottery? Uh, I could find places to get rid of every penny real quick, and the need would still be there. Our financial blessings always have a new area where we can bless. But number one, before we do anything else, the challenge is that we first give ourselves to God. And if we do that, that means we will give our lives, we will give our time, we will give our energies... Our pride, that's a big one for me. Sometimes, you know, I always got a good answer. It's just not always the nicest answer. Sometimes the kind word that's needed. Whatever it is. You sacrifice all that God has given you for his glory. We give ourselves to God. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. This lesson is mainly about giving this morning. Financial giving. But it's also about life, and I pray that that would be the thing, because each one of us here is different. If you sit there thinking, well, how much do I think Casey should be giving? That's what happens when you sit on the front row. I I shouldn't say that, because I'm trying to get people to move forward. You know, or, or, you know, what what, what should the Parkers be doing, Or, or, you know, or I'll pick on my sister, what should Carol be doing, you know? I can't compare you to me or, or to anyone else. Each one of us is different. But what we can do is pray. What we can do is dedicate our lives as a sacrifice to God. That will include your time. That will include your efforts. That will include your money. And how do we do these things in order to honor God? Each one of us making that decision. I have one more lesson next week. I don't want to scare you, but we're going to talk just a little bit more about this next Sunday. But one of the things I'll probably mention next Sunday is the one thing I can guarantee you is not a sacrifice to God is something that you have not properly chosen beforehand. If when that collection plate is passed, that's the first time in this week you've thought about the collection, you probably need to revisit that in your own life. But whatever it is, Do you choose daily to look look for God's glory? Do we wake up and pray, God, use me this day some way that will be a blessing to you and be light in this darkness? Whatever it is, we give our lives to God. So This morning, if you've not made that choice, it is time for you to sacrifice who you are on the altar of God. You're not earning anything. You're just showing your love, and you're showing your dependence that's why we ask people if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God you need to confess his name not just to yourself in your silence but before men before women you need to make that choice of change that's that fancy word repentance means I'm not in charge anymore God will be in charge and you show the world this by obeying the call to be baptized buried with Christ dying in that water to be raised to a newness of life and to live a holy and acceptable sacrifice.